Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSight News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. Good morning. I apologize. We've been running so many encores. I came down with a whopper of a flu and um, couldn't couldn't be on the air. I'm probably still a little hoarse, <clears throat> but I'm doing so much better. God bless all of you. We're going to continue this morning. There's so much if I took you through the news and all that's happening um, it would be the whole program, and you can read as well as I can. So the most important thing for us to do is to know and to love and to live our faith. Um, and um, I was with the Legion of Mary in um, Tyler this past Saturday, and we talked about that, just how to be in the world and not of it. And I said, as I've often said, all we have to do is live our faith, and we will be contrary to the world. That's all we have to do. We need to do more. We need to preach the gospel. We need to give the gospel. We need to not keep it to ourselves. We need to speak the truth in love, but to speak the truth. If we are silent, we are guilty before God. Um, but we need to be in the world and of it. And again, that is to be modest in, in, in uh, walking through the world, not to be dressed like the immodesty of today, um, to not go to stores or restaurants on Sunday and make other people serve us who, um, because we want to take Sunday as a day of rest, we don't make people serve us. The restaurants should be empty, the stores should be empty, so that they do no business on Sundays and they close. And then those who work on Sundays will have that as their day off. They won't lose money. They'll have that as their day off and be able to worship God as well. Whether they do or not is another matter, but we'll be no witness to them going and filling the restaurants on Sundays. Um, and our speech, our language, our life, what we do and what we fail to do um, will attest to our faith in the workplace, on the streets, in the home. Um, it's so crucial, beloved. And we cannot live a faith that we do not know. And so we are at chapter 8 of the Catechism Explained on the duty of confessing our faith. The first point was that God requires of us that we should make outward profession of our faith. He says in Matthew chapter 5, So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> The second point is um, our Lord has promised eternal life to him who fearlessly makes profession of his faith. And I think this is where we left off. For he has said, everyone that confesseth me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven, Matthew 10. St. Peter made a bold profession of his faith before his fellow apostles. And our Lord made him at once the head of the apostles and the foundation of his church. 
the three young men in Babylon confessed their belief in the true God, and God delivered them from the fiery furnace and caused them to be raised to high honor. Daniel confessed his faith by disobeying the king's edict and continuing his prayers in the sight of all men, and God saved him from the lions. A great reward in heaven will be given to those who suffer persecution or death for the sake of their religion. We heard yesterday a homily uh, that gave the story of um, 40 martyrs for the faith. I don't recall the year, the details, but they were 40 um, uh, Christians on a raft in the icy ocean uh, being persecuted. They were stripped naked, put on the raft and out to die in the icy waters of the ocean. No food, zero, naked, freezing temperatures. And they would simply die from freezing. And they were singing on that raft, 40 uh, Christians for Christ, 40 martyrs for Christ, 40 something for Christ. They were bold and singing aloud. And uh, the, the soldiers with, not, with guns on the shore said, we've prepared a hot bath for anyone that wants to deny Christ and come to shore. You can get warm in the bath and you'll be fine. And they wouldn't. And finally, one soldier did. And he jumped into the water and he swam to shore and he went into the hot bath and instantly was killed from freezing cold to the hot water. It instantly killed him. And one of the soldiers was so impressed with the faith of the now 39 um, that he stripped himself and ran and climbed on the raft and said, no, 40 soldiers for Christ, 40. It's a very moving, beautiful story. Blessed are they, says our Lord, that suffer persecution for justice's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you untruly for my sake. Be glad and rejoice for your reward is very great in heaven. Those who suffer great persecutions for the sake of their faith are called confessors. Those who are put to death for their faith are called martyrs. A martyr goes straight to heaven at his death without passing through purgatory. We should be doing justice. We should be doing injustice to a martyr, says Pope Innocent III, if we were to pray for him. A martyr possesses the love of God in the highest degree, since he despises life, the greatest of all earthly goods for God's sake. Every martyr is a conqueror and is therefore depicted with a palm in his hand since the palm is the mark of victory. Yet no one is bound purposely to seek after persecution or a martyr's death. Anyone who does so without an express inspiration from Almighty God is almost sure to yield to the persecutors. Nor is it forbidden to flee from persecution. When they shall persecute you, says our Lord in Matthew 10, when they shall persecute you in one city, fleet into another. Our Lord himself fled before persecution in John 11. So did the apostles and many of the saints, St. Cyprian and St. Athanasius. Yet the pastors of souls must not fly when the good of the faithful requires their presence. The hireling fleeth, 
because he's a hireling, says our Lord, and careth not for the sheep. Yet they may fly if their presence is not required, or if it seems likely to give rise to fresh persecutions. The heretic who dies for his heresy, the heretic who dies for his heresy is no true martyr. For St. Paul tells us that if we give our body to be burned and have not charity, it profits us nothing. John Huss, who was burned at Prague in 1415, rather than give up his heresy, was no martyr, nor were Cranmer, Ridley, or Latimer, who were burned at Oxford in the reign of Queen Mary. A man is a true martyr who receives a grievous wound for the sake of the faith and afterwards dies from the effects of it. So, too, are those who suffer imprisonment for life for their faith, or who die in defense of some Christian virtue or some law of the church. Thus, St. John Nepomucene, who was put to death because he would not violate the seal of confession, and St. John the Baptist, whose death was the result of his defense of the law of purity, were true martyrs. The whole number of the martyrs has been estimated at 16 million. <clears throat> 16 million martyrs, beloved. The man who denies his religion through fear or shame or apostatizes from the faith is under sentence of eternal damnation. For Christ says, He that shall deny me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And again, our Lord says, He that shall be ashamed of me and my word of him the Son of Man shall be ashamed when he cometh in his majesty and that of his Father and the holy angels. Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 9. And I recall that the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you say your religion is private and you keep it to yourself, you are in sin. God has not given us anything to keep to ourselves. We are to proclaim and spread the gospel. Continuing here with the catechism, he who denies the faith denies Christ himself. In the times of persecution, there were many who denied their faith. Even now there are some who through fear of worldly loss or of being dismissed from their employment deny their religion. Others from the same motives, though they do not explicitly deny that they are Catholics, yet do so implicitly by attending and taking part in the services of a false religion or by being married in a Protestant church or by a merely civil marriage or by taking Protestants for the godfathers or godmothers of their children, or by allowing their children to be brought up in a false religion. There is no sin in attending a Protestant funeral or marriage out of courtesy, so long as no part is taken, no part is taken in the service on the part of the Catholics who attend. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be back with this. Uh, to continue this chapter uh, right after the break. And after the second break, we'll have a half hour for your calls and your emails. Uh, and the toll-free number, if you wish to call in ahead, is 1-877-511-5483. 
We'll be right back. The 40 days of Lent remind us of when Jesus himself fasted and was tempted in the desert. In the Bible, 40 symbolizes a time of struggle, purification, and rebirth. 40 weeks is the time it takes a child to be developed in their mother's womb. Noah, in the ark, watched it rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the people of God were reborn after the flood. Moses went up Mount Sinai for 40 days to receive the commandments, and the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years to find the promised land. Jesus enters the wilderness for 40 days filled with the Holy Spirit. There, the devil tries to tempt Jesus with the same things the Israelites struggled with in the desert hunger, doubt, and obedience. But Jesus rebukes him, each time with quotes from the Old Testament. Let us seek a time of rebirth and purification these 40 days of Lent. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. In the New Testament's first letter of St. John, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, And we have this confidence in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in regard to whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked him for is ours. It's incredible to realize how much God loves us, what he has promised us, and what he'll give us through our trust in him. Have you prayed for the Station of the Cross today? We would be grateful if you would remember us each day in your prayers, whether it's the Most Holy Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Most Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, or any other prayers you pray throughout the day. Please also pray for the intentions of your fellow Catholic radio listeners. It's so important for us to remember to keep one another in prayer. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are reading... um, about the profession of our faith in the, from the Catechism Explained, and that is the Catechism of Trent, explained and taught by Father Sparago. And we are up to the point, um, hold on now, of uh, saying that our Lord has promised eternal life to him who fearlessly makes profession of uh, his faith. Um, let me just see now where we were. Um, Okay. The man who denies his religion through fear or shame or apostatizes from the faith is under sentence of eternal damnation. Um, We went just a little further. Let me go there. Um, Okay. Those who obeyed, let me see now. Those who deny or conceal their religion out of human respect are not only despised by non-Catholics. The Emperor Constantius, father of Constantine the Great, once ordered all those of his servants, whom he knew were Christians, to sacrifice to the false gods. Those who obeyed, he dismissed from his service. 
Those who refused, he promoted to the places of those he sent away. He who apostatizes from the faith is even worse than he who denies it from worldly motives. Solomon, whom God had filled with divine wisdom in his old age, was persuaded by his heathen wives to apostatize from the true religion and to worship their false gods. The emperor Julian, the apostate, fell away from the Christian religion and became a cruel persecutor in the present day. It too often happens that Catholics give up their faith through motives of worldly interest or because they want to marry a Protestant or sometimes because they quarrel with a priest. A vicious and sinful life often prepares the way for an apostasy. No good man from the time of our Lord till now has ever fallen away from the Catholic faith. The tree must be rotten within before it is blown down by the wind. The wind does not scatter the grains of corn, but the empty husks. He who apostatizes crucifies the Son of God afresh. He commits a sin almost unpardonable. He ceases to belong to the church and can no longer call God his Father. For as St. Cyprian says, he cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. A Catholic must therefore keep far away from all occasions which could endanger his faith, for he who loses his goods loses much. He who loses his life loses more. He who loses his faith loses all. We'll begin now chapter 9, which is on the sign of the cross, which I know many people make, uh, we all make when we come into uh, to church and dip our fingers in the holy water, make the sign of the cross. I heard one priest say it looks like some of us are swatting a mosquito. <clears throat> and it, uh, Reverend Sparago says the Catholic makes confession of his faith, most especially by the sign of the cross. We need to do this every time, beloved, that we make the sign of the cross reverently. By it, the Catholic lets men know that he makes profession of belonging to the religion of the crucified Savior. To Jews and Turks, the cross is an object of hatred and contempt. Protestants, too, pay no honor to the Holy Cross, though there are indeed some of them who in the present day have learned the practice from the children of the church. The sign of the cross is thus the peculiar property of Catholics all the world over. It is a custom so ancient that it is generally believed to have been introduced by the apostles. The sign of the cross is made by touching with the outstretched fingers of the right hand, first the forehead, then the center of the breast, then the left, and finally the right shoulder. The forehead, the center of the breast, the left, and the right shoulder. Not this, not this this. And we profess our faith as we make that sign. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's also another way of making the sign of the cross, by making three crosses, with the thumb of the right hand on the forehead, the lips and breast, successively, repeating the above words, so that each of the three crosses 
is made simultaneously with the name of the one the name of one of the three persons of the blessed trinity um, <clears throat> and it says let's so that would be in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit people do that as well um, in making the sign of the cross the left hand should be across the breast and the sign should be made deliberately not hurriedly as is too often done in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit or in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit in making the sign of the cross we make profession of the most important of all the mysteries of our holy religion, the doctrine of the Blessed Trinity, and the incarnation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. By uniting all the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, under one name, we make profession of our belief in the unity of God. The name of God indicates his authority and power, and that we act under his commission. In making the sign of the cross, we make profession of our belief in the Blessed Trinity by the words, in the name of the Father and of the Son and in the Holy Spirit, the name, singular, of the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. In making the sign of the cross by the very form of the cross, which we make upon ourselves, we make profession that the Son of God died for us upon the cross. Thus we see that in the sign of the cross we have a short summary of the whole Catholic faith. The Catholic Church holds the sign of the cross in great honor. <clears throat> it is repeated over and over again in Holy Mass, in all the sacraments, in all blessings and consecrations. The cross is placed on our churches, over our altars, on banners, on sacred vestments, and over the graves of the departed. Churches are built in the form of a cross. Secondly, by means of the sign of the cross, we obtain a blessing from God, and especially by it, we are protected from the assaults of the devil and from all dangers both to body and to soul. The sign of the cross is no empty ceremony, but it is of itself a blessing and prayer for a blessing from God. The sign of the cross chases away the devil and his temptations. As the dog fears the whip with which he has been beaten, so the evil one dreads the sign of the cross, for it reminds him of the holy cross by which he was vanquished on Calvary. There was once a stag which bore between its antlers a tablet on which were written in golden letters the words, I belong to the emperor, hurt me not. No huntsman ventured to shoot this stag. So whenever we make the sign of the cross, we bear the inscription, I belong to Jesus Christ. And this protects us from our enemy, the devil. In war, no one ventures to injure those who wear on their arm a band of white to indicate that they are physicians or nurses or ministers of religion. So the devil does not dare attack those who are signed with the holy sign of the cross. The sign of the cross, says John Damascene, is a seal 
at the sight of which the destroying angel passes on and does no harm. The brazen serpent fastened on a pole in the desert was an image of the cross of Christ and protected all who looked upon it from being bitten by the fiery serpents. So the sign of the cross recalls to our minds the cross of Christ and protects us from the snares of that old serpent, the devil. In the year 312, Constantine the Great, with his whole army, saw a cross of light in the sky, and upon it the words, In this sign thou shalt conquer. These words are also true of the sign of the cross. Even to remember the cross of Christ, says St. Augustine, puts our hellish foe to flight and gives us strength to resist his temptations. Many of the saints used to make the sign of the cross whenever any evil thoughts assailed them. In the times of persecution, the heathen gods often fell prostrate to the ground at the sign of the cross. On the occasion of the finding of the Holy Cross by St. Helena, a woman who was blind, a woman who was blind, who restored to sight, was restored by sight, um, by merely touching it. The sign of the cross often frees men from bodily evils also. Many of the holy martyrs, on making the sign of the cross, felt no more pain in their torment. Pardon me, dear ones. St. John the Divine once had a cup with a poison draught put into his hand to drink. He made the sign of the cross over it and then drank it without receiving any harm from it. Something similar happened also to St. Benedict. In the, and you might know that St. Benedict um, made the sign of the cross over a chalice that was poisoned, waiting for him, and it simply um, split and all the poisoned wine drained. In the Old Testament, we find an allusion to the sign of the cross in the letter Tau, T-H-A-U, mentioned by the prophet Ezekiel. God sent destruction upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem on account of the abominations committed there. But an angel was previously commanded to mark the sign Tau upon the forest of all those who mourned and lamented on account of the sins of the city. Ezekiel 9. We should often make the sign of the cross, dear ones, especially when we rise in the morning and when we retire to rest, before and after our prayers, before and after our meals, whenever we are tempted to sin, and when we have any important duty to perform. I'll reread that sentence and then we'll go to our break. We should often make the sign of the cross and don't let your children do this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit reverently because we are professing our faith in the the Holy Trinity. When we rise in the morning, when we retire to rest, before and after our prayers and before and after our meals, Many people, many families pray before meals, but they neglect to give thanks after meals as a family before they leave the table. That's very important, dear ones. If you are tempted to sin, 
time when you have any important duty to perform, always do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for March 8th. Today we celebrate Saint John of God. Peace of heart came slowly to today's saint, who was 40 before he acknowledged the depth of his sinful life, especially as a soldier. Even after he resolved to spend the rest of his life serving God, John struggled. He hoped for martyrdom in Africa until his confessor advised him that his desire was not spiritually well-based. Sometime later, a sermon by St. John of Avila so moved him that he publicly beat himself. John was committed to a mental hospital, where John of Avila visited him and advised him to focus on doing good for others rather than punishing himself. After leaving the hospital, John began to work among the poor of Spain. He established a house for the sick poor. People who had once dismissed him as a lunatic were touched and inspired by his love and devotion. Many supported his work with money and provisions, including a local bishop who began calling him John of God. In time, both his work and his interior prayer life attracted men who wished to work with him. A new religious congregation of men devoted to hospital ministry was formed 20 years after John's death in 1550. He was canonized 140 years later. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I would always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church and that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, thanks be to God, and I've had a good case of the flu, so I'm still a little hoarse, and I apologize for the um, uh, the encores we've needed to run during my absence. Um, we have, um, let me just see, we have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, do you believe in ghosts as depicted in movies and the like? I know these types of ghosts are typically associated with demonic activity, but if we claim it's all for show, then how do we make a distinction between this and something like the apparitions of Fatima? Well, the apparitions of Fatima were not ghosts. Um, they were true. They were apparitions of Our Lady, of an angel, uh, of hell, uh, God showed them these things. They weren't ghosts. Um, I don't know uh, that I believe in ghosts as depicted in movies. Um, I think we try to depict the supernatural, but it's Hollywood's prediction of it. Uh, are there haunted houses? I believe so. Are there demons that inhabit 
uh, places and people. Yes, yes, yes. But as depicted in movies, I cannot say. I cannot say that. Um, but again, um, it's not all for show. It's real. But how I cannot comment on any particular p- depiction of it. Um <clears throat> Uh, We have an email from Elizabeth who writes, Can you please lay out some of the notable differences in the practices and beliefs of Lutherans versus those of Catholics? I'm considering converting to Catholicism after living my whole life thus far as a Lutheran. And I'd really like an idea of exactly how large the gap is between the two. Thank you, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, dear... um, in my heart, in my opinion, um, the gap is um, infinite. And the reason is when Luther, who was an Augustinian monk of the Catholic Church, when he left, he denied the real presence of God in the Eucharist, um, that the the bread and the wine, truly become the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ at the words of consecration. He denied that, and he said, no, the blood and the, the, our Lord's flesh and blood are concept, not transubstantiated, but they're consubstantial. That means con, C-O-N, with. So our Lord is somehow present with the bread and wine. The bread and wine doesn't become our Lord. So he's with them. That denies the church's teaching at that stage for 1,500 years, now over 2,000 years. That is the main thing. Um, and, and with that, the apostolic succession was broken, and there's no Lutheran bishop that has a true um, a validation, a true succession from the apostles. So they are not apostles. They are not successive of the apostles, they are not true bishops of the church, and whoever they ordain as priests are not to, they have no power to ordain priests, and neither the bishops or the pastors of the Lutheran church have any power to consecrate bread and wine, no matter what they believe happens. So it's, it's simply Protestant, and it's a, it's a branch of Protestantism. It began with Lutheranism, and now there's several branches within Lutheranism. Um, Missouri Synod and ECLA and and Wisconsin Synod and others. Um, And they disagree within themselves. So that's the main thing. There's no apostolic succession. There's no valid consecration of a priest, uh, of a deacon, of a bishop. uh, And the Eucharist is not the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. They also deny a number of the other sacraments and um, uh, oh there was something else I, I was I was thinking of because my own sister was Lutheran and she became Catholic blessed be God but she began as Lutheran um, you know what you might do Elizabeth is go to and of course you don't have the structure of the church with the magisterium and the hierarchy that our Lord gave you also don't have all the books of scripture um, from the from Carthage and Hippo, the canons of the 4th and 5th century because Luther himself single-handedly threw out seven of the uh, seven plus books of the Old Testament. So 
you might go to com- the Coming Home Network International online, the Coming Home Network International, and they have a book uh, put together the stories of of uh, Lutherans who entered the Catholic Church. It might be 95 theses to reverse Lutherans, uh, Luther's 95 theses against the church. This is 95 for the church. It's a wonderful uh, book, all personal conversion stories, Elizabeth, and it, it might help you, dear one, but the differences are huge, huge, and um, uh, the difference between receiving Jesus or not is life and death. So I, I hope you'll be able to get that book or uh, some other good, uh, very good um, books. You can go to catholic.com on their website and type in Lutheran versus Catholic as well. Um, we have a, a, a comment on Facebook from Michael who says, Dear Mother Miriam, do you think the leaven of malice refers to people who attack our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and repeat calumnies about him? You don't have a reference for the net level, the leaven of malice. Um, I, if you're referring to our Lord's words, um, to the disciples um, that they spread uh, the leaven of malice. I think those are the words I'd have to look it up. That has nothing to do with Pope Francis whatsoever. Um, Leaven is a little piece of bread with yeast in it. And from my Jewish, it's influence. It doesn't mean sin. Leaven does not absolutely mean sin. It means influence. So when I grew up in my Jewish home, if we moved from our home, my mother would put a little piece of bread and salt in a little plastic bag that we would take with us because the little piece of bread we would permeate uh, our new home and the salt would act as a cleansing factor to purify it, which is what leaven and salt do. So we would bring a sanctifying, purifying aspect into our new home and the leaven would be the influence from our past to bring into our future. Um, And so the leaven of malice in the case of the Pharisees referred to their teaching, and their teaching was wrong and evil. And so uh, that is what the influence would be, evil, not good. But if you spread leaven of what is good, then you spread what is good. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. There's nothing wrong with that. It depends upon if it's good or bad. But uh, the leaven of malice, I don't know how you're referring it to people who attack our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and repeat calumnies about him. You'd have to give me that reference and why you're applying it to people who attack our Holy Father. Um, We have a message from Casey. Um, Uh, from Facebook, Casey says, can God save someone convicted of treason by the government? Can they be forgiven and go to heaven? Yes. Yes. If they repent, any sin can be repented of. 
Absolutely. If they're convicted of treason by the government and they're innocent, such as St. Thomas More, God knows the heart of man. doesn't matter what the government does. And if the government convicts them uh, rightly, they can still repent, even if the government doesn't change their mind. Uh, the issue is the repentance of the soul. They can be forgiven, even if not by the government. The issue is to be for The government sends nobody to hell. It is God that uh, is the standard for righteousness. So if whoever's convicted of treason by the government, if he's convicted of treason and it's true, uh, he can repent. Um, and if in a case of St. Thomas More, he was convicted of treason, but he was right in the sight of God, then he should not repent. Um, and of course, he's forgiven and can go to heaven. That has to do with our relationship with God, not with the government. Um, we have an email from Daniel who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. What would you say to a Catholic man married to a former Catholic woman and Protestant who does not want to talk about the Catholic faith to his wife because he believes that he must respect her religion? She's an evangelical. They have a four-year-old boy. Thanks for your time to read and answer this question, Daniel. Daniel... I don't know why, um, if he was Catholic and she was Protestant when they married, former Catholic and Protestant when they married, um, that priest will be accountable for marrying them because we are not to marry outside the faith unless they had a very special dispensation from the bishop. So if he's a Catholic man married to a former Catholic woman and Protestant, I'm going to it was either he married her in that state or she left the Catholic faith and became Protestant during their marriage. Um, if this man does not want to talk about the Catholic faith to his wife because he believes that he must respect her religion, he is going to be in part accountable for her if she finds her way to hell. We are not to remain silent. We are to speak the truth in love. If that Catholic man thinks that we should respect her religion, then he doesn't know what her religion teaches, and he certainly does not know his Catholic faith. Christ died on the cross to establish the Catholic Church. There is no other religion that God gave. There are not many religions, as the Vatican has said. There's only one. It is Judaism fulfilled in its Messiah. And it is Catholicism. Judaism spread to the four corners of the earth in the Messiah under the new covenant, which is universal, which is Catholic. That is the only religion our Lord established. If you respect her religion as a Protestant, you are respecting what God hates. Well, how could you say he hates it, Mother? Because he died for us and a Protestant doesn't believe in his body and blood. And he said, unless you eat my body and blood, you have no life. And so this is very serious. So either that man does not know his Catholic faith or he does not rightly love his wife. Uh, respect your wife, but don't respect her Protestant faith because it is not a faith that will take anybody to heaven by itself. We have an email from Jennifer, who says, Mother Miriam, my husband is a former Freemason and is in the RCIA classes to be confirmed this Easter. 
He had talked to a parish priest and the vicar, and neither are very sure about Freemasonry. Well, I don't know why they're not, especially the vicar or the priest. Just look it up. There's plenty of information. My husband is concerned that his confession may not be valid in God's eyes. He wants to be relieved and forgiven for the oaths taken. We don't know where to go next as far as he, as who to contact that is knowledgeable about this sin. So confession and the penance is legitimate. He worries for his soul and prays to make it right with our Lord. Thank you for any guidance you can give. God bless you, Jennifer. Jennifer will respond to this really important email as soon as we come back from the break. And beloved, when we come back, it'll be our final segment. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth. Join Father Stephen Imbarato and I, along with many more, in New York City for the Gift of Life Walk on Saturday, March 25th at 11 a.m. in downtown Manhattan's Foley Square. We invite everyone to come walk with us behind the Men's March banner in this great opportunity to stand up together for the least of these on the Feast of the Annunciation, which is also the Day of the Unborn Child. Men, we also have a special men's night the evening before the walk on Friday, March 24th. Meet us at 6.30 p.m. for an important presentation on authentic manhood and the pro-life movement in the old gym at the Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in Manhattan. Make plans now to join us. We hope that we'll see you there. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Oh, beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Are you ready to take on the world of flesh and the devil with just the facts? This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Avam, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, and this is our last segment. Our lines are open, and um, 
And we have about 10 minutes, so you're welcome to call in, dear ones, with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We read a short email from Jennifer just before the break. Let me... um, uh, reread it. Mother Miriam, my husband is a former Freemason and is in the RCIA classes and to be confirmed this Easter. He had talked to our parish priest and the vicar and neither are very sure about Freemasonry. My husband is concerned that his confession may not be valid in God's eyes. He wants to be relieved and forgiven for the oaths taken. We do not know where to go next as far as who is to contact, as far as who to contact that is knowledgeable about this sin. So confession and the penance is legitimate. He worries for his soul and prays to make it right with our Lord. Thank you for any guidance you can give. You know, I just looked up, if, if, if your husband goes to a priest and the priest is not knowledgeable about Freemasonry. Um, but the, your husband renounces the oaths. He renounces them. He denies them. And he confesses his faith in Christ and all of that. If the priest gra- grants him um, uh, absolution, then, um, then, he, then, the, then it's a valid, um, uh, let me see, then it's a valid uh, confession. Um, let me just read you here. I'm looking at the Catholic.com site, which is always a wonderful place to go. Um, Freemasonry, it says, is incompatible with the Catholic faith. It teaches a naturalistic religion that espouses indifferentism, um, the position that a person can be equally pleasing to God while remaining in any religion. Masonry is a parallel religion to Christianity. Um, uh, the New Catholic Encyclopedia states that Freemasonry, Freemasonry displays all the elements of religion, and as such, it becomes a rival to the religion of the gospel. It includes temples and altars, prayers, a moral code, worship, vestments, feast days, the promise of reward or punishment in the afterlife, a hierarchy, and initiation and burial rites. It's also a secret society. Um, its initiates subscribe to secret blood oaths that are contrary to Christian mortals, morals. Rather, um, I'm going to skip things here and just read a few notes. Historically, one of Masonry's primary objectives has been the destruction of the Catholic Church. This is especially true of Freemasonry, as it has existed in certain European countries. In the United States, Freemasonry is often little more than a social club, but it still espouses a naturalistic religion that contradicts Orthodox Christianity. Those interested in joining a men's club should consider the Knights of Columbus itself. The Church has imposed the penalty of excommunication on Catholics who become Freemasons. The penalty of excommunication for joining the Masajic Lodge was explicit in the 1917 Code of Canon Law and is implicit in the more recent 1983 Code. Um, 
and and the article here I'll read the the final the final paragraph of Catholic answers here because the revised code of canon law is not explicit on this point some drew the mistaken conclusion that the church's prohibition of freemasonry has been dropped it has not as a result of this confusion shortly before the 1983 code was promulgated the sacred congregation for the doctrine of the faith issued a statement indicating that the penalty was still in force this statement was dated uh, November 1983, and it gives the references where it can be found. What I would suggest, Jennifer, is that you go to Catholic.com, type in Freemasonry, um, and print this article out, which your husband can give to the priest. So the priest is more informed, and your husband, in confession, can absolutely renounce the vows he made as a Freemason, renounce them, renounce all the pomps and promises of the devil, and uh, confess Christ, and be at peace. Okay. Um, Trey writes, um, Hello, dear mother. My wife and I were wondering if it is possible to take suffering that we endured in the past as children or otherwise before we were Catholic or knew the value of redemptive suffering and to offer it up now in the present for the benefit of the person who causes suffering or as general reparation for sins against Jesus and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Thank you so much for your ministry and tender care of those who call to you for help. You are a beautiful icon of the love of the Blessed Mother has for us on earth, Trey. Thank you, Trey. I say the answer to your question is yes. Let me read the question again so our listeners know what I'm answering yes to. Trey says, my wife and I were wondering if it is possible to take suffering that we endured in the past as children or otherwise before we were Catholic or knew the value of redemptive suffering and to offer it up now in the present for the benefit of the person who causes the suffering or as general reparation for sins against Jesus and the Blessed Virgin Mary. The answer is absolutely yes, Trey. Um, uh, there's so much suffering that so many have experienced in their childhood. So much suffering. And it's rare that that suffering does not carry through to adulthood. So it's either it's PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, or memories that haunt us and weaken us or bring us to be depressed or whatever it may be, the sufferings of a lifetime somehow are normally present and they come out in different circumstances. So they are yet present circumstances, present sufferings. And so, yes, you can go back into those sufferings and offer them and say, Lord, whatever happened, whenever it happens, whenever it happened, I offer those sufferings because you remember them. You remember them quite vividly. I offer those sufferings. I trust that you enabled them, that you didn't necessarily plan them or enable them in the sense of giving the people the okay to hurt us, but you knew about them, and you, just as you know about all sin, and you allowed it to happen. We trust your wisdom in allowing it to happen and allowing whatever the effect would be on our lives, even the destruction that would ensue in our lives. And we take that suffering 
and we offer it to you, dear Lord, for this person's salvation or that person's salvation or, again, the reparation, as you said, of um, sins against Jesus and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Absolutely, you can um, enact the most magnificent doctrine of redemptive suffering as the apostle paul says to the colossians i fill up that which is lacking in the suffering of christ what was lacking in the suffering of christ on the cross absolutely nothing but he still suffers through us because the world is not done putting christ to death and we can make reparation for that and when we take the sufferings that have been imposed on us and heroically and wonderfully offer it back to our Lord in union with his sufferings for the salvation of souls or the reparation of sins committed against our Lord and our Blessed Mother. It's a heroic thing and a very wonderful and beautiful offering tray. God bless you for that. There's the music for the end of our program, beloved. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow again. Thank you so much. God bless you.